You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. So Joel chapter two, this is in the Old Testament. So this was about 800 years before Christ, we find this book of Joel. And there's this very specific prophecy that is written in here um, that is gonna be a springboard to what we are gonna be speaking about this morning. And the prophet Joel writes this, or Joel, however you read it. Um, Then after doing all those things, listen, this is what God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Can you say all people? I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And in those days, listen, friends, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. And so if we want to just paraphrase that in a 2021 version, God is going to pour out his spirit on everybody. Can you say everybody? on you, upon me. God is a generous God and he is generous with himself. He is generous with his spirit. He is generous to meet us where we're at and pour out upon us. Why this is significant is because we are speaking about something called encounter. Encountering God. And if you think back on the series is when people had an encounter with God in the Old Testament, the first the first week we talked about um, Moses encountering God in the burning bush, and this understanding that God is a holy God. And then we see the the woman at the a well having an encounter with with Jesus at the well, and 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 that was was her encounter with a loving Savior who invited her into this salvation that she thought she was separated from. We see the encounter of of Andrew and Andrew having an encounter with the Messiah, the promised one, the one who had been promised, the one who who there's been whispers of him. And finally, he reveals himself. And then um, last week, as Brett spoke about Saul of Tarsus, who was a Christian terrorist, has an encounter with God on the road to Damascus on his way to go terrorize the church. And, and we just see this, this beautiful thing take place of, of when God encounters men, there are corporate ramifications or, or, or there is, there is a, a exponential fruit that comes from our personal encounters. Because if you remember, um, my encouragement was our encounters are not about us. Our encounters are about so much more than that. For Moses, it was for the people of of Israel. For the woman at the well, it was for her village. For Andrew, it was for his brother and the other disciples. For the apostle Paul, it was for all of the churches that would be planted. And and we have come, uh, in some way, shape, or form, come from that lineage that has been the church advancing since Jesus commissioned her. So this prophecy is given, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, but it starts like this, friends, and it's in Matthew chapter 27. And if you don't know this text, I would love for you to go back and read it, underline it, and have a deep understanding of this. And this is Jesus on the cross, Jesus being crucified, Jesus suffering. And verse 50 says this, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. If you remember the text, and obviously we'll go through some of this uh, next week on Easter Sunday. Good luck. That's a reminder, put your phones on silent. So he's on the cross, he cries out, he gives up his spirit. And then listen to this, friends, verse 51. This is a portion of text a lot of people don't like to dig into, and we're not going to dig into it so much today, but listen to this. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. I'm going to pause there. If you don't know what the curtain was, this is speaking about the holies of holies that was present in the temple. The temple was a place of worship where the, where the Jews would go and they would worship Yahweh, the I am, the holy God. They, and his, God's tangible presence was in this temple. And it was held behind a thick curtain. So let's just say this is the temple. There were the outer courts and then there was the inner courts. And then there was the holies of holies. And 
the normal uh, um, public was not allowed into the holies of holies. The only people that were allowed into the holies of holies were those priests that were sanctified to be able to go into the presence of God, listen, on behalf of the other people. And so there was a big dividing curtain. And so many scholars believe that it was, it was this, this layer upon layers of curtain that was, that was like 18 inches thick that, that stopped anyone. It was, a, it was a clear barrier that you had to think twice before you entered into the presence of God. And if you remember back to Moses' encounter with God, it was like, take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. And there was times even going back to King David when the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the presence of God was being carried back into Jerusalem. And when people mishandled the presence of God, people fell dead. So the presence of God wasn't something to be taken lightly. And it's the same with this encountering the Lord. Our encounters with God aren't to be taken lightly. And so this curtain that divided the presence of God from the general public listen, friends, was split from top to bottom. And the reason why it, it, that's significant is because it was God reaching down towards man. It wasn't us tearing it from the bottom up to get access to God. It was God tearing it from top to bottom, giving us full access to who he was. Isn't that amazing? So listen, the earth shook, the rocks split. Listen, friends, and the tombs broke open. I mean, this is starting to sound like a zombie movie. Listen, friends, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is supernatural. And I, don't, I think we just sometimes read over this and we forget sometimes the things that took place historically that were recorded by the church. And you would think that this is being written in Matthew, being written in the New Testament through the Gospels. These Gospels were written, you know, a couple decades combined, a couple decades after Christ had ascended, after the church had begun to grow and grow. These things were written down and they were given to the general public so that they knew how to pass on those things that had happened, the story of Jesus. And so you would be able to, to, to logically think that if this story was being passed on, like, man, when Jesus, when Jesus shouted out and that Holy Spirit was released, that there was actually people who raised from the dead and who went into the city and people observed them. You think as that would be recorded that people would be able to shut that down. I'm like, that didn't happen. Yeah, you need to take that out of there. When nobody, nobody saw that happen. That didn't happen. These things happen, friends. The power, the power of the Holy Spirit bringing back to life those holy people who had already passed. It's, it's a supernatural thing. So this is God, the spirit being unleashed on mankind. They came out of tombs after Jesus's resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. If you guys remember in John 16, verse 7. Jesus prophesies the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he tells his disciples this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper. And this is the, the Greek word there is the paraclete. The helper will not come to you. But if I depart, then I will send him to you. And so Jesus had already prophesied that he is going to send the Holy Spirit to be the paraclete. And the helper isn't just, you know, that little Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder that just kind of gives you a little good advice to do the right thing. No, the, the, the paraclete, that word, the, the accurate kind of interpretation is the advocate. The one who will go before you. The one who will fight for you. The one who will make your case for Christ. This is the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper. So Jesus had already promised the Holy Spirit. And then we find ourselves in Acts 2. And I know you know this portion of scripture because we go through this quite a bit. But just follow along with me, friends. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, it says this, on the day of Pentecost. 
And I know I'm jumping ahead when it comes to liturgical preaching, but friends, we're, we're, we're okay to use any verse we want on any day. Are you guys all right with that? On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Can you say one place? All right. All of you who are online, I know there are some of you who need to be home for medical reasons. And for that, we extend so much grace. Please be safe. We love you. We're glad that we can provide this to you. For those of you who are home, because it's comfortable and easy to watch from home, you should be here. If, if, if you're going to the market, if you're going to work, if you go to Costco, Costco and Walmart, there's more people in line at Costco and Walmart than you're going to encounter in this room. You can be here. So our encouragement is for you to be here. They met together in one place. And suddenly, listen, friends, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled, listen, friends, the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled. Can you say filled? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. And as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, or I'm sorry, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud voice, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Friends, this is a corporate encounter with God. It's the first of its kind when we see it in, in the scripture where Jesus would reveal himself to, to a person and then there was ripple effects to where others would come as God would, 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 would reveal himself through a prophet or, 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 or through a judge or through a king or through an individual in the Old Testament. We, we see that this individual encounter had these ramifications, but now in the new covenant as God is wanting to unleash his presence on all mankind because he said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God comes down in the form of his Holy Spirit and he reveals himself to the masses. And it's 120 waiting in a room because there was a promise made by Jesus. He will come. I'm going to send him. Just wait. And as he comes, the, the crowds begin to hear the thunder and hear the voices and hear the roaring. And they come like a bunch of Medici's to see what happened. And as they come to see what happened, Peter, who was once Simon, stands and becomes the rock that Jesus had called him to be. Then Peter stepped forward with the, with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. As some of you are assuming, it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early for that. It better be too early for that. <laughs> no, what you see was predicted. Listen, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So this is Matthew pulling from that prophecy that was given 800 plus years before Christ. He is pulling down that promise that was spoken by God that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And as Peter steps up, he reminds these Jews of what their prophet had said 800 plus years ago. In the last day, he, he, he repeats Joel's um, um, prophecy verbatim. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. They will prophesy. Powerful. He's giving them a lesson. He's telling them this is what's happening and you have an invitation this is your invitation to be a part of this. We find it here in this book of Acts, a supernatural, friends, public, corporate encounter with God like never before on the planet. 
the Holy Spirit had just been unleashed. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself as I am. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God reveals himself through his son, Jesus. But from the book of Acts until this present age, friends, listen to me. God has revealed himself through the Holy Spirit. The advocate, the paraclete. The Holy Spirit was poured out on, on this approximately 120 people. Listen, friends, in broad daylight. This is nine in the morning. And in today's church culture, we think in order for the Holy Spirit to fall, we have to have a night service. Because it's dark and it looks a little more sexy in here. Right. And we black out the black out the windows and, you know, things, you know, man, it could be a little more intimate because you need you need to create the mood. Right. For the Holy Spirit to come, you got to create the mood. Right. You know, the the keyboard player has to hit that that G chord because that's a God chord. Just just lay it down. Right. And we got to set we got to We got to create atmospheres. No, God will show up when God wants to show up because he is God and we are not. And it happened, listen, friends, in broad daylight. It happens in such a way that thousands, thousands would respond to this corporate encounter. Thousands would respond. And today's church culture, we think that we have to make this thing look so slick. We have to make this thing look so uh, um, attractive. It has to be so seeker sensitive that if we have to have, you know, the right kind of coffee we're serving outside. We're not doing coffee right now. We will eventually. But we got we to gotta have the right colors. I mean, people, they, they get designers to come in and make sure that they do colors that are palatable to the eyes so that people can feel calm when they come into church. And I mean, we, 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 we're, we're, we're trying to create atmospheres. But listen, friends, God will show up when God wants to show up. We just have to be willing to encounter him. Are we willing? This happens in such a thousands come. It was a loud boom, friends. There was ruckus. There's people. Listen, friend, we're, we're afraid of speaking in tongues in the life of the church in today's world. We're afraid to speak in tongues because we're afraid when people come in that it's going to look all crazy. And people are going to be like, oh, heck no, we're not going to that church, not going to that church. Or if they even might believe in tongues and they'll be like, I need an interpretation, interpretation, interpretation. And the apostles lay that stuff down. Yes, there should be order in the church. Yes. We need interpretations of tongues are speaking. But friends, this was wild. They're speaking in tongues and people are coming like, look at these drunk guys. And Peter takes the opportunity to give them the raw gospel. And thousands come to Jesus. Thousands. God had now begun to display his majesty in such a way that even those, listen, friends, even those who were most hostile to the gospel would surrender their lives to Jesus. If you look into that Acts 2 preach that the apostle um, um, Peter would, would give to the crowd, he says this, this Jesus who you crucified. He wasn't holding punches. He, he, he wasn't saying, you know, if you really feel like it or if you feel a little tugging in your heart. No, 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 no. This is the Jesus that you crucified. Have you ever asked yourself or maybe even asked God, why doesn't God show up like this anymore? Have you ever had that thought? Like, why doesn't God show up like that anymore? Makes you think, like, what's changed since then? I mean, if this is where the church started, you think in 2021, 2,000 plus years ago, that we should be way further along than what started. Because the desire of, of, of any true movement, and we're not calling the church a movement, but if it was a movement, the desire of any true movement is for, for those who come after to build on the shoulders of those who went before so what's changed since then? If I can be honest with us, for God, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed for God. We, we've, we've seen these types of movements happen when people, everything else, when religion gets stripped away, we see people hungry for the authentic. You think of all the great revivals that have swept around this globe 
You think of the great Welsh revival. You think of the Toronto blessing. You think of the Azusa Street revival that just took a place just up the road from us in downtown Los Angeles. The Azusa Street revival, there was people who started a revival through prayer and prayer alone. They would pray and pray and pray and pray and then more people would come and they'd pray and they'd pray and they would pray and it came to a place where that place started looking like it was on fire and smoke was coming out and there's records of this. And they would call the fire department and say, you need to come and put out the fire that's happening here on Azusa Street. And the fire trucks would come and they weren't trucks back then, they were more like wagons and buckets. They would come with their wagons and their buckets of water to put out the fire and there was no fire. It was holy fire. It was a fragrance and aroma of true worship reaching heaven and God was pouring down revival. What's happened since then? For God, nothing's changed. God is willing and able to unleash his spirit upon all flesh. And if you think about that, it says in the last days, we're closer to the last days more than they were. But I think what's changed for the people of God, friends, if I can be really honest with us, is culture. Culture has changed and culture has invaded the church like never before. We're trying to look more like them than inviting them to look more like him. We've made faith, listen friends, private. Faith has become a private thing. We've moved from a community-based model. Listen to me, friends. We've moved from a community-based model to an individualized, customized approach to the Christian walk. Your Christian walk is like Burger King. You can have it your way. And it's contrary to the gospel, and it's contrary to any great movement of the Lord. And unfortunately, no one has bowed to the culture more than the American church. Listen, friends, it's in our language. We become so individualistic in our approach. It's my walk. It's my call, my anointing, my church, my family, my future. This is the language we use. And this is the language we promote. I'm trying to get you to your call. I'm trying to get you to your future. But this thing isn't just a matter of us. This is a matter of God's kingdom. It's a matter of the kingdom of God. The things in the kingdom matter to God, but they don't matter more. Listen, friends, I mean, sorry, the things, your life matters to God. When you say my church, my walk, those things matter to God, but they don't matter more than, listen to this, friends, our walk, our call, our anointing, our church, our family, our future. When they were waiting in that room, they weren't in that room waiting for the presence of God and saying, Lord, please, I'm waiting for an answer from you. I'm waiting for an answer. I'm waiting for my thing, Lord. I'm waiting for what you're calling from me. It wasn't about them. It's about what God had promised and God poured out his spirit on all of them equally. Hopefully at this point in this encounter series that you've come to recognize that our encounters with God were never meant to be in isolation. They weren't meant to be an isolated event in our lives. Encounters with Jesus were not meant to be private moments to be treasured in our hearts. Now, I love that Jesus meets me there in my devotional time. I love that when I'm in prayer time with Jesus, he meets me right there. And I love that I could cry be in the presence of God when I'm with God. And I, I love that the Holy Spirit speaks to me individually. I love those things. I'm not saying those things aren't a part of this. But friends, I'm telling you, there's a corporate encounter that the church needs to buy into again. At this point in this series, I hope you've seen that there's a pattern. The pattern of encounters with God have an impact beyond the individual. The encounter that I have had with God should have an impact beyond my life and beyond my family's life. It's just about me and my family. Then I have created a separate segment of the body of Christ. Moses' encounter was to set millions free. Abraham's encounter was to establish a holy people of God. 
The woman at the well's encounter was to bring salvation to a village. Andrew's encounter brought his crazy brother Peter to the Messiah. The lame man's encounter brought a thousands to salvation. Saul's encounter on the road to Damascus turned a Christian terrorist into the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. Yes, we read stories where individuals have been touched by Jesus simply because he loved them and simply because he had compassion on their lives. The blind man, the demoniac, the woman with the issue of blood. But honestly, friends, I believe that if scripture would have recorded the rest of their stories, we would have seen a greater impact in their lives beyond the moment that they encountered Jesus. John chapter 21, verse 25 says this. Jesus also did many other things. And if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would have been written. There was so much that we don't know that Jesus did. So Pentecost, listen, friends, it wasn't a one off. It wasn't just the Holy Spirit comes and now all these people come. And that was the only time that people came. We see it throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit keeps showing up. Acts chapter four, verse 31, it says this. After they prayed, after they what? All right. Shameless plug, plug 915 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We pray together. You're invited. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was what? Was shaken. It was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And here's one of the things that I love about this scripture. Because where in the, in, in, uh, on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls, they speak in tongues. The, the Holy Spirit enables them to speak in other languages so the other can hear them. And this portion, verse um, chapter four, the Holy Spirit gives them the power to speak the word of God boldly. So you want to know if you're filled with the spirit? Can you speak the word of God boldly? Verse 32 says this, all the believers, can you say all the believers? All the believers were one in heart and in mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power that apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Anyone who had need. This is what a corporate encounter looks like, friends. The oneness, the unity that begins to fall on a church when we believe the power of God can drop on a people, not just on me, not just for my thing, not just for my call, not just for the goals in life that I have or the ministry aspirations that I have in life, that the power of God will drop on a people when a people are willing, listen friends, to be one in heart and one in mind. When we think about what happened at Pentecost, most scholars have put together that what was dismantled at the Tower of Babel, the Holy Spirit brought together once again in a common language, and it was a heavenly language. And what happened at the Tower of Babel is the people of God became so arrogant in their technology and in their intelligence that they thought that they can build a, a, a tower from earth to heaven. And as God is looking down, he's, 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 he's talking to, I believe, Jesus, the son, and says, man, there's nothing they can't accomplish when they're unified. There's nothing that they can't accomplish when they're unified. And so what does he do? He disrupts their language and he scatters the people. Because they became arrogant. Because their unity wasn't in Christ. Their unity was in and of themselves. But what happens at Pentecost is the Holy Spirit falls and as they begin to speak a heavenly language that others are able to, to hear in their, their, their own language, he unifies spiritually a language and this unity, this unity that would fall on the church, on the people of God, once again would also cause God to look down and say, there is nothing that they can't accomplish when they're unified. See, we're, I think we're so... consumed 
by our individual call and our individual anointing that we forget that this thing isn't about us. Ultimately, it's about Jesus. But right under that Jesus, listen, friends, it's about us. It's about his church. And when I say us and I say his church, I'm not specifically saying Restoration L.A. on our own. I'm talking about the bride, the people of God. Listen to this, friends. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 17 says this. For the Lord is the spirit. So who is the Lord? The spirit. Holy Spirit is Lord. We don't get to beckon and move the Holy Spirit as if he was some kind of force. He is God. We don't beckon the Holy Spirit to do our will. We ask the Holy Spirit so that we can continue to do his will. For the Lord is the spirit. And listen to this. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we just read also, all believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. How did that come? Because the Holy Spirit had dropped on them. So where the Holy Spirit is, friends, we also find unity. We see a united front. We see this, this bond that brings people together, a force to be reckoned with. I want to just kind of give us a thing of unity. So if you're writing notes on your, on your notepads or anything like that, you can go ahead and write unity down in a straight line because I'm going to do one of those things right now. I think they're called alliterations. You can call it whatever you want. The U stands for us. Can you say us? Listen, friends, I'm going to be very blunt. This is, not a, this is not about you. This is about us. We have to come to grips with that. This is not about you. It's about us. We even look at the greatest of the commandments. It's about Jesus first. And then it's about what? Others, which is us. Not about me. It's not Jesus, then me, then you. It's us. So us is that first you. The N. You can write this down. No one. Listen to me, friends. No one person is greater than the whole. No one person is greater than the whole and this thing that we call the kingdom outside of Christ Jesus alone because he is seated on the throne. We are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. No part is more important than the other. Apostle Paul makes this clear in his letter to the Corinthians the hand can't tell the foot. You're not important because you're not a hand. But we do it all the time. I, I love it when I talk like this and people are like, that's right, pastor. No one's better than others. That's right, pastor. I want to tell you that too, though. That's right, brother. That's right, sister. Just like no pastor is greater than you, you're no greater than the pastor. I think so many times we, we can put weight on elders and pastors that we won't carry ourselves. We can put expectations on our elders and our pastors that we wouldn't put on ourselves. The priesthood of all believers means that each and every one of us is going to stand before God face to face as priests in the kingdom of God. Can you say amen to that? No one person is greater than the whole. Unity, the I. Individualism. Individualism will never serve the purposes of God for the nations. He's a God of all nations. That means all people. And so if he's a God of all people and all nations, then my individualism has to die because it's not about me. If I have issues with a certain type of people group, I better get over it real quick because God is a God of all nations. If I have different with different segments of the body of Christ, I better get over it real quick. Because Christ is coming back for one church. If I have issues with the church because they don't see things my way. 
we have to come to a recognition, friends. It is not about us. This is about Jesus and his kingdom. Individualism will never serve the purposes of the God of the nations. T, in unity, together. Can you say together? You cannot accomplish the purposes of God on your own. You won't be able to do it. God the Father functions in team. Jesus the Son came and appointed disciples, functioned in team. Those disciples made other disciples. The Apostle Paul had an apostolic team. In the life of this church, there was not one elder. There was a team of elders. There's a team of deacons. There's a team of saints. We do not do things on our own. I'm telling you, friends, we do things together. You cannot accomplish the purposes of God on your own. If you are a lone ranger, please take this seriously. But hear my heart. Good luck. If Jesus modeled team, who are we to think that we can do this on our own? All I need is the Bible and my call and nothing can stand in the way. Man, those are the words of people who find themselves in serious trouble. We need to do this together. And lastly, unity. Why? You. There is no us Listen, friends, without you, you have to choose to be united. You have to choose to be a part of the body of Christ. You have the choice to come together and be a part of this thing that God has called us to. And I know that sounds so cliche. There's no us without you. But listen, there is no unity without you. And I'm not saying that you can disrupt the unity of God because God is God. But if you don't choose to be unified with the Lord's church, then you're not in unity. And if you're not in unity, then you don't get to pull down the blessings that come with that unity. Uh, Ken Furlow, one of our elders, probably his life sentence is Psalm 133. Where there is unity, God will command a blessing. He fights for that thing. Where there is unity, God will command a blessing. Where there's not unity, God will just sit back and let see what you guys figure out. Where there is unity, God will come and bless. And I don't know about you, but I want to see God come and bless this thing that we're a part of. We have to be unified. But when the body's standing here and, and we got a thumb standing out over here, that's where you get that saying, you stick out like a sore thumb. And the whole body's over here, and then the thumbs are, I don't want to be part of the body. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like the way it is over there. And I don't like what they say, and I don't like how they do it. Friends, it takes you to be unified. You have to choose to be unified. You have to choose to be a part of what God's doing. And I'm not saying every local church is the best expression for every person. But there is a local church that should be the best expression that you can feel unified and actually walk in the things that God has called us to do together. Acts chapter four, verse 32 says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had and everything they owned. Friends, they shared their lives. This is what unity looks like. And I know many of us, we use this portion of scripture because we're saying, hey, listen, stop being stingy with money and start giving to what God is doing. But this is more than that. It's not just financial. This is a heart thing. They were sharing everything they had. They were unified. What's mine is yours. You can have it at your disposal. I'll share my life with you. And yet those who seem to hold back, those who seem to hold back, I'm not just talking about finances. Those who hold back their life, they hold back their time, they hold back their giftings because they just don't like the way it fits with everything else. I'm telling you, friends, Ananias and Sapphira were a victim of that mentality and they dropped dead for trying to lie to the Holy Spirit in such a pure time in the life of the church. Wow. Lastly, this unity thing 
this understanding, this corporate anointing that comes upon a people is an identification that we are united in Christ. Can you say united in Christ? Because of Christ, we are now children of God. We're children of God. If we are his children, then that makes us family. That makes us family. That makes us brothers and sisters. There's no crazy cousins in this family because we're all brothers and sisters. And we might have some crazy brothers and sisters, but with crazy cousins, you can kind of put them in a box and walk away because they're cousins. You know, they're not really, you know. But brothers and sisters, you can't do that. When you, when you have a, a crazy brother or a sister, when I say crazy, I'm not talking about medical thing. I'm, you know, I'm just, it doesn't matter. You fight for that brother and sister because that's your brother and that's your sister. And if you did have a brother with a disability and someone tried to do, oh, that, that's not even a question. And somehow in this body that we're a part of, so this, this thing, this beautiful thing that the Lord's been orchestrating, we view others as, as crazy cousins. We're children of God. We're brothers and sisters. We're united in Christ. Which means I, I, I'll fight tooth and nail for you and you should be fighting tooth and nail for me. And it doesn't matter what baggage I brought with me. We're united in Christ. And if we're united in Christ, listen friends, we're united in message. There's only one gospel. We preach Christ and Christ crucified. There's one gospel. There's only one message. We don't have another message. There's no other message. We share the same message. So if you go to Mexico, you go to Australia, if you go anywhere in the world, you go to Boa Heights, Pico Rivera, wherever the Lord has planted you, we're preaching the same message because we're united in Christ. We're united in mission. We're called to reach the world. The great commission that's given to us in Mark chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 28 is going to all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. This is the mission, friends. We're united in mission. There's no other mission than we've been given. Now, I know that there's things that we love to do as a church because God has called us to serve the poor and feed the hungry and, 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 and serve the widows and the orphans and all those ministries that we're a part of. But ultimately, the great commission is to bring dead people back to life through the preaching of the gospel. We're united in mission. There's no other mission. We're united in method. And this is the method, friends. We love God first. He's first in everything. He's first in everything. Jesus is first in everything. If, if, if you have a gripe and, and you're saying that you're fighting for something, if it's not Jesus first, then I, I, we're not fighting. Jesus is first in everything. We love God first. This is how we do it. This is the method in which we do this thing. We love God first. And secondly, we love each other. Listen, friends, I don't love myself first. We love each other. Two greatest commandments. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You love him with your everything. And the second one is just like it. You love others the way you love yourself. You love others. This is the method in which the church operates. If this is not the method in which we're operating on, we're missing it. This is what a corporate encounter looks like. When God falls on a people, when God prophesied back in, in Joel, and when, when Peter used that same prophetic word over, over these new believers, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. When the spirit of God begins to fall, we read this in Acts chapter 432, the same verse. And all the believers were one in heart and one in mind, because that's what it looks like when a people have an encounter with God. Lastly, I'm going to read this verse over us before I land. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. We love Ephesians 4 because it gives us these gifts that God has given the church, the, the, these, these ascended gifts, right? He gave the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to do what? To equip the saints for the works of ministry. And so in the life of our church and the culture that we're a part of, we go straight to Ephesians 4, 11, 12, 13, 14, because we love that. But listen, friends, it's Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. Read like this. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. 
This is Paul writing to the church that he planted. And he's telling the people, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. He's not just talking to the pastors. He's not just talking to the deacons. He's talking to the saints. Every person in the life of that church, he's telling them, I want you to live a life worthy of your call. And Restoration LA, I am challenging you with that this morning. Live a life worthy of your call. Be completely humble. Be what? Not kind of humble. Not sometimes humble. He didn't say, hey, be humble when you need to be. He said, be completely humble. Be completely humble and completely gentle. Be patient. Listen to me, friends. Bearing with one another in love. So how do we deal with each other? We bear with one another in love. So when I encounter your faults, I bear with you in love and I extend grace to you. And I pray under this blue sky that you will do the same for me. And I'm praying that you will do the same for your brother on your left and your brother on your right, that you wives will do this for your husbands, you husbands will do this for your wives, you parents will do this for your kids because we're family. That we will bear with one another in how in love because that's the method of the kingdom. Verse three says this, make every effort to keep the unity, to keep what? The unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of that spirit, that corporate anointing when Holy Spirit falls and we begin to share life like it, it, we belong to each other. Make every effort to keep that kind of unity. That unity that came when the Holy Spirit fell and they all started speaking one language, that kind of unity. That's the spirit's unity. Verse four says this, there is one body, say one body, one spirit, say one spirit. Just as you were called, you were called with one hope. Just as you were called with one hope when you were called. Verse five says this, friends, one Lord. Can you say one Lord? One Lord. His name is Jesus. So at the end of the day, I'm not in charge of this thing. You're not in charge of this thing. He's in charge of this thing. And we need to start acting accordingly. One Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Man, you just been enveloped by the one true God through that portion of scripture. This is who he is. Verse seven says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And I pray that it's that grace, friends. Restoration LA, it's that grace that will carry us for the next 11 years, 30 years, 40 years, if the Lord tarries, that we will love each other and that we will begin to function under a corporate anointing like never before, that we understand that we have encountered this Holy Spirit and that revival doesn't need to be mustered up. Revival happens, friends. When the people of God begin to live like biblical people. That's when we start seeing the moving and the shaking. That's when we start seeing, hearing the thunder roaring and the smoke going. And that's when the world around starts looking at a little church situated on 383 South Market and say, and say man, there's something going on in that place. We need to go see what's happening to them crazy people. Because we're in East LA. There's tons of Metichis around here. They want to see what's happening. Let's give them a reason. And when they walk through those doors, let's love them like they've never been loved before. It doesn't matter what lifestyle they come from. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter what church they came out of. If God sent them through those doors, listen, friends, I used to say this all the time. If God says some, sends someone through those doors as a pastor in this church, I have a responsibility to them. But I'm going to put that on you now. If God sends someone through those doors, you have a responsibility to them. You have a responsibility to them because this isn't about me. 
This is about us. It's about Jesus. Can you guys down with me this morning? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're welcome to do as you will. We know that you're here because of the promises we've been given. When two or more are gathered, you are in our midst. And I believe you're here. You've been here. The evidence is all around. The evidence in the lives that have been touched and transformed in this place. The evidence of those who have come to know Jesus. The evidence of those who have experienced baptisms. Those who have experienced your presence in such beautiful ways. We know that you are here, but we want more. And Lord, if our disunity has hindered that in any way, God, we repent in the name of Jesus. We bow our knee to you, Holy Spirit, because you are Lord. And Lord, I pray for a supernatural unity to fall in this place like we've never seen. Like we've never seen in our last 11 years. Like we've never seen even in the 100 years that we're going to be celebrating next year from this church's existence. We pray, God, for unity to fall like never before. So that the glory of your kingdom can be manifested through a crazy bunch of people who choose to gather in East L.A. Jesus, we celebrate all that you've done with us in this last 11 years. We're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for your faithfulness. We're thankful for the grace that you have given us in our inadequacies and in our failures. But we also choose to be empowered by that grace to not, to not rest there and stay there. We will carry on with what you've called us to because we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Can we give Jesus praise this morning? Awesome. Hey, happy 11th. We love you guys. We do hope that you'll come back at five o'clock. Um, if, if we have a, a, an overflow problem, hey, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. We'll make a South African say, we'll make a plan. So um, we love you. And I can't wait to continue to do life with you in the way that God has called us to in this place. Uh, 5 p.m., we're kicking off. There's food. Uh, there's going to be desserts. The jumpers, we're going to move from the front to the back, so there'll be something for the kids to burn some energy if they need it. Um, but, man, we're just going to celebrate Jesus. So, hey, dress to impress. Hey, but come comfortable. We don't want you to be all uptight and all that stuff. So, hey, have a great afternoon. We'll see you this evening at 5. Bye, guys. <laughs>